Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the 24-7. Yeah. Chris, I'm on vacation, can't talk. <laughs> it was a long it's, week. It, it's that, that Easter ham and those chocolate candies. They're, they're, they're wearing you down, getting you out of shape, buddy. Yeah, it was, it was definitely the ham and the candy. <laughs> I am Mike Casazza. That is Chris Anderson. Uh, routine resumed here. Tuesday morning mailbag questions and answers from subscribers and also routine is a lot happened in the last six or seven days since we did this a lot seems to happen either time any one of us goes away that's probably to be expected right around now Uh, i shipped myself off for a wedding in charleston south carolina knowing full well that there would be some things that happened and certainly they did almost right away car ride up news car ride back news um wouldn't have it any other way and we have plenty to talk about so much so that i don't know where to begin spring football is going along college basketball season's over with some memorable games and then there's transfers for both sports happening um, again very eventful and, and this seems probably normal for moving forward because the seasons never really end and this seems like we're probably going to have at least a couple more days if not more weeks of this especially on the basketball side yeah, uh, I feel like the basketball stuff's just getting started. Big news last night with uh, Kerrigan from Florida International committing to West Virginia as a transfer. Um, not done. We'll get there. Uh, I think we got a couple questions about that in the mailbag. And but you're right. Was, <clears throat> we we recorded the podcast last week. Said goodbye to you for your vacation. Said can't wait to discuss all these things that are going to happen in while you're gone. Uh, you had pre-recorded a podcast with uh, Eric Bossy, right? Bossy, yes. Um, talking about transfers in West Virginia basketball and commitments, and in the next forty-eight to seventy-two hours, there was a commitment, a transfer, someone staying, someone going, uh, a couple other transfers from elsewhere that West Virginia got in touch with. Um, that is that is the way it is, and I, I don't think that's going to stop in the next couple of weeks. Again, we're kind of just – it feels like, hey, this is crazy with the basketball transfer portal. I, I think it's just getting started, not not necessarily with just West West Virginia. I'm talking as a whole, as, a, as, a, as the country goes, that there's going to be some more movements, some more commitments, um, and West Virginia is going to be in touch with some guys uh, over the next couple of weeks. Yep. When I talked to Eric Bossy, he knew about the high school recruit, and we were talking. He not that he knew it was coming; otherwise, we would have broken the story. But I, I think you and I talked right after that about, "Hey, this guy may pull the trigger," and it happened the next day. So that was cool. But we also talked about some of the transfer possibilities. And I, man, I, I know he didn't on the podcast mention Carrington, but I wonder if like off air he had mentioned him as like the type like a sleeper that can do some things. And I know that I looked into him a little bit about it. Um, and I meant to ask him like, Hey, did you actually say that guy? Did you know that? But that name was not altogether new for me when, when that happened. And there's a back, there's a question in the mailbag that we'll get to, but it does seem like a future direction, if not just for one season, then some uh, that maybe they tried take it for a spin as a work and then do it because he does something very specific defensively, obviously that's in need, but there's something about him offensively. That's, that's kind of fun that we'll talk about. Um, and then now you're, you're seeing it and every day there's, dozens more players in there and i think it's only going to change here soon because if these teams that are ending their seasons are having conversations with players about you know maybe you do want to spend your second senior season here and maybe you don't and then that's going to add more players in there and now you're if you're west virginia 
talent acquisition is one thing. You're always trying to add talent, but do you want to get younger or older? Do you want to land right in the middle? Um, that's going to be kind of an interesting direction. Adding Carrington is gives you a one-for-one one player. Um, I don't think they're done <laughs> based on a little tip I got yesterday where I was asking about a new player and uh, the response was, well, which one? Because uh, I think there might be somebody there. Now, was that lost in translation because they also added a high school player? Um, I don't know. Maybe the news wasn't as big because it seems like Carrington maybe knew for a while that he was committed and just isn't into social media and just decided that yesterday was the day that he would announce that, that he was committed to um, to transfer to West Virginia, which is always fun. But, um, man, all new terrain and, again, plenty to talk about and cover there, too. Uh, the big one, I guess, would be that uh, McBride is in the draft, which isn't a surprise, but some wiggle room in the language there and the words he did and did not use. I hate doing that stuff, but I also know these kids put so much into the graphic for social media that it's really hard for me to think that there isn't some type of message being sent when they send the message. And for him never mentioning anything about the ability to return to school, I think that art to some brows, but also it may be so unspoken that you go and you test the waters, you can come back that perhaps he didn't feel the need to say that. Yeah. The, you're right. Literally the only one that, that that didn't say with the possibility of returning for next year. Um, and yeah, I, I didn't even think about it. I mean, uh, we have discussed at length here that basically almost all starters at the high major level should be putting their name in the NBA draft just to give feedback and, and go from there. And so we were fully expecting McBride to do that, but him not putting those words in there, it did. It You, you said it right arch some eyebrows i was like wait a second that's notably absent given well, like you mentioned the, the the time and the effort these guys put into these graphics it's put together uh, I, I believe in conjunction with with the school like in some form or another they help them uh get it together i mean obviously i don't know if it's i don't know if it's a school but they all use the same guy um the the three of them did sherman meal and, and mcbride and then for mcbride to be the only one that doesn't mention that uh, raised some eyebrows, but did reach out not to McBride, but to other people. And uh, that that is still the possibility. Uh, no one seemed to know why that wasn't in there, but uh, he, he is still very much considering coming back. So I don't not, you know, sitting here in my podcast chair with fire all around me saying, this is fine, Mike. This is fine. We're, we're a couple weeks since the season was over. And some guys had their mind made up to transfer to enter the draft. Some need a little bit longer. And the six foot ten, two hundred and fifty five pound question mark right now is is Culver, who's you know hasn't said or you know indicated anything here. And I just I find that very unusual here. And I, I was I was under the impression that there might have been some sort of announcement uh, for maybe like a week or ten days ago. Just kind of the buzz I'd heard, but nothing since then. And I and I wonder where they're at with that and, and how things are going. Um, I was listening, no, reading something that Huggins said on the radio, I guess, that he hadn't really sat down with McBride and talked about it yet, Um, which makes me wonder, like, has he sat down and talked with Culver about it yet? Are these all family things and that they come to him and say, Coach, here's what I'm going to do? And if they have questions, go, because I know that there's been times in the past where Huggins has been asked, like, hey, I just want your blessing on this. And he's like, I can't bless it because I don't think it's the best move for you. So it doesn't make me think that he's making the decisions, and it it all could be so subjective that one player is different than the next. But um, do we make anything of Culver's TBD right now? Was that Devin Williams's music right there? The the no blessing was that Devin Williams? What, whatever, whatever do you mean? <laughs> uh, 
I don't know. The Culver situation is an interesting one. I, I think, uh, you know, Huggins is going to have to have those conversations with everybody. It, it does surprise me that he didn't have those yet. I thought that, um, you know, he would meet with those guys after a few days. Uh, we were asked about that in one of these mailbags a couple of weeks ago when the season ended. How quickly do these exit interviews happen? And usually it's not right away. So um, that was when we said, you know, hey, if there's somebody transferring, they've had this in their mind for a while. And then obviously a couple of days later, McCabe announces he's transferring and then Matthews. So um, the exit interviews, I think, would be happening by by this point uh, to discuss next season, their future, their role, all of that. So uh, maybe some clarity coming soon on, on one of those fronts. But uh, again, this is a strange. This is, we're in strange times here, Mike. There's so many different options. There's so many different things that guys can do, um, and even just specifically talking about West Virginia, offense is changing, personnel changing. Um, it, it's it, it's a, a very strange time. Two phenomena too. There are players, and neither these don't apply to West Virginia, but there are players who have done the early entry who are also in the portal, which is fascinating to me because. They're not committing to coming back to school or even that school. So they're fielding offers for their future in two very different capacities. And that's something that is just totally new. Um, number one. Number two, um, I eh, well, we'll get to that one, I guess. But like, I just, no, I mean, here, here well, because Osaboyan came back, which right. I don't know, that's a 50 50 surprise. Because um, we, we talked about what he does is hard, is, a, is what he wants to do, who knows, but he came back. I, I wonder what type of toll this season took on players in, in myriad aspects. And they're just like, nah, rather move on. And for some people, that's that's going to hit differently. McBride, for example, if he's somewhere between 25 and 35, there's a big difference there. But he might also be like, it's been hard. Like, my career almost ended once. Um, I may be on a new roster next year and, like, the 2020-21 season stunk. It wasn't fun. I'm not sure I want to go back and do that. And that may enter into his thinking. But for someone like, again, Sherman or McNeil, it might be worth it to do it again because they might elevate themselves and perhaps they didn't get as high or as far in this past season because it was difficult, because it was so trying. And if they, hit, they get a, you know, a smooth driveway, you know, perhaps they, they get to where they want to go. Um, it's just different variables here that I think that are going to make this so different across the country. And, may have nothing really to do with basketball because a lot of what maybe frustrated people this past year wasn't about the basketball. Yeah, we're, we're venturing towards some some podcast questions here, but yep. before yep. we get there, I just wanted to clarify something on the on the McBride um, front. And because somebody asked me this, it wasn't part of the podcast questions. It was just a discussion we were having on our our VIP board about McBride about his future and the difficult the the different part with. You know, with the NFL, I'm always I'm a huge proponent of yeah, get go go to the NFL, go start it early because your career's I mean in all these sports your career's over a lot sooner than you think, uh, in 99.9 percent of the cases. But in basketball, if you are not a surefire first round draft pick, that's tough, man. Because there's this even second round NBA picks, those contracts aren't guaranteed. <laughs> you could be done and out of the NBA without getting a single penny if you're a second round pick. So those decisions are not as clear cut if you are kind of that fringe late first, early second. Because if you're if they're telling you you're late first, early second, 
you're probably late second undrafted. Right. Uh, it, it's just like the NFL where they tell a hundred people that they're first round picks and there's only 32 first round picks. So, you know, keep that in mind. And, and it's tough. I, I still know. Cause once, once you're not a first round NBA draft pick, your options are your, you, 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 be, you need to be looking at Europe or Australia or, you know, somewhere that's not the United States, because those are financially speaking and probably for your career, better options than, hanging around trying to figure out something uh, here in the States. And listen, some guys aren't going to make the NBA. There's not. Right. And, they're, and they don't want to like bounce around the G League or whatever. And I understand the G League makes better money now, but that's extremely exclusive in there um, for like those big time salaries. And just you can look at guys that have left WVU and have done it and, and played five, six, eight years and made tax free money <laughs> over in Europe. It's not it's not a bad life. And like for some of them, they're just like, I'm going to do that next year anyways. Why would I go through the college experience again? Uh, that's that's not that's not a new phenomenon, but you're right. Like it's it's a lot to consider and that 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 hourglass is not turned upside down. It's just like on its side right now. Like these kids aren't in a rush to do anything, which is what what probably bugs Huggins and a lot of coaches about this. They can do this for a long long time. What we talk about July is the is the deadline for this stuff. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, here with that. Come on. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> and, and maybe not the one of the few ever first round draft picks for WVUs is a great example, but I just saw Joe Alexander pop up in the news the other day. Uh, he was playing, I'm trying, I'm forgetting where he was, but he ended up leaving that team to sign one of the richest deals for an Israeli player in the world in South Korea for two months. So <laughs> you, you know, you're going to be a mercenary. You're going to be a world traveler, but there is good money in playing overseas. But, you know, I, again, if you're making an NBA decision, you need to make sure you're a first round draft pick uh, or you need to come to the grips with you're going to be traveling the world. And that's there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think a lot of people would love to be Joe Alexander making, you know, a couple million dollars traveling all over the world and, and playing basketball for two months at a time. Uh, final one we'll get in the mailbag. Uh, final four was pretty entertaining. Uh, mm -hmm. One dominant performance and then one all-time game, and then the championship game tried to be dramatic, but I mean, uncannily, the top two teams from wire to wire end up in the final, which rarely happens. And then Baylor, I mean, if you take away that COVID pause, that team looked like it really could have been undefeated this year, especially when they played against an undefeated team last night. Um, I think the best team maybe won. Only because I thought watching them every time I saw them this year that they were they were just equipped to be really good in March. Guards, defense, shooting—they played really well together. Gonzaga, obviously, you could say anything you want about them and be just as complimentary. But um, it seems to me that you know you'll see one seeds win it, but maybe it's not the one seed you thought, or you'll see teams that were in the top ten most of the year win it. But conclusively, this seems like the final that everybody thought was going to happen as far back as September, maybe October, when you start doing these preseason polls. Um, and it was really good basketball for the final weekend. It was. And Baylor was a team I had. It, there's going to be some of our listeners here that, that read our board that aren't going to believe this. Um, a wager I made that I won. Uh, you may not believe that, but oh. it's true. It's true. Uh, Baylor, before the tournament, for the, all the reasons you just said, like they looked like the best team in the country for 20-some games, got hit with a three-week COVID pause. Team got wiped out. And then they looked like crap right afterwards. Hey, guess what? Everyone looked like crap right after their COVID pause. Okay? Everyone looked bad. Everybody's worn out. You get sick. You, get, you don't practice. You don't run. 
you're just taking a long break in the middle of the year. And then they came in with, you know, what was it, like the fourth or fifth best odds to win the tournament at the start of the tournament. And I'm thinking, that's the best team in the country right there, I think. And when I, I was a little uneasy. I was looking for a hedge uh, once we got to the national championship game because I did, wasn't sure they could handle uh, Gonzaga down low. But when Vital got, what was it, like five offensive rebounds in the first minute and a half, I was like, oh, nope, feel good about my bet. I'm good. I, that was amazing, the the way they started that game, the way they were crashing the boards. That was just pure want uh, from that Baylor team. And, and, and then they kind of let their talent take it from there. There are 26 scholarships allotted to those two teams. I believe 12 went to transfers. Mm-hmm. And then four more went to players who redshirted for developmental purposes. Um, I don't. I, we, we were in the one and done era for a while. I don't know that you're going to have old teams in college basketball, but there's certainly something to be said about using that portal to get players and like not not portal players from like major schools like Houston had uh, Quentin Grimes from Kansas. Baylor had guys from schools like Presbyterian, uh, UNC Asheville, and then just got them in because they fit and they were doing stuff. Like if you have an eye for talent, you can find players that that's obviously important too. But um, to develop together for a couple of years, that year on the sideline is really good. And like if you look at Baylor for football and basketball, their weight room is legendary. <laughs> like you know they're just off doing skill developmental and body development for a year. They're going to be at an advantage. Um, it's going to be. I'm curious to see if that's something that people try to emulate in the future. It's difficult, but it certainly is uh, lucrative, too. Um, let's jump into this, Chris. Questions and answers. Um, subscribers submit. We try to answer as best as we can. And then whatever we don't get to in the remaining time here, you sweep up into a written format here. That will be coming sometime soon. But let's jump into this now. What do we have? All right. Well, let's kind of stick with this topic that we're having here on scholarships and West Virginia's situation, transfers, all that. Um a joint. <clears throat> well, let's start with this little piece from Kuzapalooza so that you can clarify the rule here. Can you break down the basketball scholarship situation, uh, particularly with uh, Taz and Gabe? Does it count? Does it not count? Free year from NCAA. How many scholarships does West Virginia have? All right. So you start with 13. That's the most you're allowed to have. Correct. They, they had one extra one. For this coming year, not that they go to 14, but they have one to use when Sheboy left. Right. You can go over the 13 by the number of players who come back. So that gives you 14 now if McNeil and Sherman come back. Um, if they don't, that's what I'm not entirely clear on, but I don't think you get to fill it. So let's just say that, um, I'm sorry, not not, not McNeil, Osaboyan and Sherman, if they both come back. I'm not sure what happens then. Like if Sherman doesn't come back, you don't get to use that. So you're working with 13, and you can go over by the number of second-year seniors who come back, not the number of second-year seniors you have. So you have the Sherman one. Mike, wake up. You have the uh, the, the Sheboy one. When did that uh, reception end again? Yeah. <laughs> is, is it you, still going on? You, you have the Sheboy one. You have the Jordan McCabe one. You have the Emmett Matthews one. So you're working with three potentially five. It depends on what Taz Sherman it, what Taz Sherman does. So Osaboyan, you can go over now so you have another one. They've given one to Carrington. So they could have three more then. Uh, correctly? I don't know. Now we're now we're confusing ourselves 
on the readers. I'm trying to go through here. So I had you, you had 13. I had 13 scholarship players. You lost one in Shibwe. So you're down to 12. Replaced him with Carrington. And it replaced him with Carrington. And then you're adding Kobe Johnson and Seth Wilson. Correct. So that should put you at 13 if you have Gabe and Taz. But if Gabe and Taz don't come back but don't count, then I guess you still have two more spots, right? Correct. Okay. So there's two more after Kerrigan. There's two more spots. Yeah, Kerrigan. I'm going to keep calling him Carrington, too. That's okay. We just met him. Um <laughs> Yeah, so that's the I hadn't gotten to the how they're re, like replacing with the recruiting class, but you, you were a step ahead of me there. But yes, those available ones are then gobbled up by our high school players. Um, I was saying in the current state for guys who are transferring in in college now, they're they count right away because they're they're signing their what do they call it grade aid paperwork. Right, players get there. So yeah, they're they're close, and it's going to depend. Um, so essentially, to to they're not done and they don't have to be done, and they could do more depending on what other what other decisions people make. So they could do less too. So like, for example, if McBride leaves one opens, if Culver leaves one opens, if McNeil leaves one opens, those things happen. That's, that's organic. You can do that where you get into the, the gray area is basically what happens with Sherman. If he leaves, you don't get that. He's a senior. If he comes back, you can add him and he counts, but it doesn't count as going over in the sense you could have 14. Well, you would have, 15, basically, because Osaboyan's already decided to come back. Now, will they do that is a question, too. Do you really want to have 15 scholarship players on a team? I don't know that they'll actually do that, so don't be surprised, for example, they don't fill them all. Remember last year, they were they were talking about not using all 13 scholarships. They ended up adding Seni Enjai um, kind of late in the game, but there was a period of weeks, maybe not months, where they were talking about, we don't really need 13. We like our team. If we're just going to add a guy to add a guy who may transfer after one or two years. Let's not do it. They found a guy at Enjai who, before COVID, he could redshirt, not play, and be okay. They thought that was a good idea, similar to Jalen Bridges the year before. Um, very different players, but similar situations. But um, I'm not sure they'll use them all. What do you think? I think, I, well, one, I'm sitting here trying to do uh, a spreadsheet to make sure I got my numbers right. Because now, I'm, again, I'm confusing myself. But I think, I think they're going to use at least one more. I think it's going to be on the transfer market. I think that's going to happen no matter what happens with, um, you know, who comes back and who doesn't come back because they seem to be targeting another ball handler. And I can't blame them. Even McBride's coming back. The question is, you, you can't, you can't have Mc, one. I think they have been looking all along and we've been calling for it. For to get McBride off the ball, some he doesn't have to be off the ball all the time. He's not a bad ball handler, but you 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 kind of want a different look. Sometimes he dribbles a little too much, and a uh, little bit of uh, something that that caught me off guard when somebody was asking about that NBA draft question. Uh, did you know McBride shot forty one percent from three this year? Do you know what he shot from two? <laughs> a lot worse than that. About forty one. Yeah, yeah. Like. I, I I was I mean I knew he was shooting it well like but you know if you told me that hey somebody somebody on this team shot forty one percent and somebody shot thirty five percent I would say McNeil shot forty one and and McBride shot thirty five but it was the other way around um, anyway so I, I, they're trying to find somebody to get off the ball because if there's McBride who who's your next ball handler on this team who is it Kedrian Johnson and <clears throat> we have seen that that 
I don't want to say that they they have not thrown in the towel on him by any means, but they didn't have too much faith in him being their primary ball handler this year. Mm -hmm. And I I don't expect them to go, all right, well, we didn't trust you last year, but now this year you're going to, you're going to handle the ball for 20 minutes a game. So I I think they're still searching for a guard that can handle the ball. And Seth Wilson and Kobe Johnson, two very good guards. Johnson, I think is more of a wing than the true point, although he certainly can pass it, dish it, distribute. But are you going to hand it to true freshmen? And like, oh, hey, McBride was a true freshman. Yeah, that was, you know, that was an anomaly. That was the exception that proves the rule. You're not going to expect a true freshman to come in and be your primary ball handler, your point guard all the time. So I think they're still looking for that guy. Let's let's do like a 30-second recap here. 13, had two seniors, 11. And Osaboyan and Sherman um, added Johnson and Wilson. Thirteen lost Chibway. Added DC yesterday. Back at thirteen. Lost Matthews McCabe. Gained Osaboyan. Doesn't matter. So you can still have that much extra room right there. So there's, there is room for them to do it. Now, will they, will they not? I don't know. They could have 14. They could have 15. They could have 13. They could have 12. So that, that's how it works. Like some of it's already organically done with your, with your high school recruiting and then lose Shibway to the transfer portal, add a player from the transfer portal. And now that you're down to transfers, that those are kind of the wiggle spots right now that what do they do? They lost Matthews. They lost McCabe. Um, they're kind of fluctuating with the, the two senior decisions are, I have one of them right there too. So there's, there's yeah. room. Will they use them all? I don't know. We'll see. All right. So this is what I got on my, my expansive spreadsheet here. 12, 12 current players on the roster for next year. Currently. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this is assuming all three guys that entered the NBA draft are coming back. Bridges, Cottrell, Culver, Kedrian Johnson, McBride, McNeil, Njai, Osaboyan, Thweet, Kerrigan, Kobe Johnson, Seth Wilson. That's 12. Correct. So no matter what, they have one. Because if Sherman, if Sherman comes back, they get to use the extra one. If he doesn't come back, they're under 13, so they can still use one. Well, technically, though, Osaboyan won't count. Oh, that's right. So he won't count. So they could use two. Okay. All right. I see where you're at. I see where you're going. Yeah. And that's because, that's what I was saying, that's, that's basically the room created by the two players who transferred out, McBride, excuse me, McCabe and Matthews. Okay. So that, well, this is why we started this segment off with that, so that Mike could enlighten me as well. 40 minutes later, we are at the bottom of it. <laughs> we got there. We can get there eventually. That, yeah. That's our motto. We'll get there eventually. That is our motto. Um, so, it well, I, I already gave my thoughts on the uh, potential other additions and transfer. What, what do you think, Mike, they, they need to add still? It looks like guard. Yeah. Um, some of the names that are connected with that you've, you've pointed out, um, probably more point guard than, than combo guard, which is like the Huggins thing that he likes to do, whether it's combo wings, combo guards. But there are players out there with high assist totals who are from his neck of the woods that he knows or his team knows from the AAU circuit or um, his coaches know. Maybe they recruited that part of Ohio or Pennsylvania. There, there are ways to make that happen. There's a lot of them in there too. I would look for somebody who probably doesn't want to score 12 points a game and certainly doesn't want the guy across from him scoring 12 points a game. 
if you can find someone who can do a little bit like Kerrigan was, we'll get into Kerrigan in a minute here, I'm guessing, um, that just wants to play and win and do his thing that fits in. If you can do that for a guy who who might make some open threes, but is going to defend and hand the ball out and, you know, basically be the, the sidecar to McBride. McBride liked playing with McCabe because he was off the ball. And I think if you can find that that guard who can do that and come in and, and you know, get you going, keep your offense running with the twos or with like a, a mix of ones and twos, first team, second team, I should say, starters bench, that's probably the most appealing thing to me. They got the size. They did not go for the 6'9", 240-pound stretch four that we talked about, but they got something they needed. I don't think they need another big guy right now, so I would, I would stay away from that. Uh, I don't think they need a two. A three would be interesting because you have bridges – then you're you're kind of thin out in the wing. Basically, that Bridges and Matthews last year. Do you count on Wilson? Do you count on uh, Johnson out there? Uh, Kobe Johnson? I don't know. Probably not. So that's what's interesting to me. I'm with you. Point guard, one slash two. But could you see a three, three slash four? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It could. I mean, I, I see as far as body types why that might be a move. Personally, I'm okay with playing like McNeil as a quote unquote three or even Sherman as a quote unquote three. Yeah. Uh, going with that shooters lineup of like McBride, McNeil, and Sherman all out there at the same time. I know we didn't see that often. Uh, and maybe there's a reason for that, but I like the idea of that. And, and so I wouldn't stress getting another wing at this time. Kerrigan um, may be able to do something out on the wing. Well, Let's go there then, because that, that's the question from WVUG13. What are your expectations for Carrington's role next year, or is it too early to say? Um, he kind of is what he is, which is what they want. Like Defensively, he's going to block shots. He's going to challenge you. Um, and the reason I say he could do some wing stuff, he's 6'9", 215. He, he's, he's long, and he's not skinny. He's, he's an older guy, you can tell, um, just by his body. He looks mature physically, but he's not, he's not Culver. But he is going to get up and around the rim and he's going to block and discourage things. I had a tip about him last night to, to go check some things out. He dunks the ball. He dunks the ball. Like that's, that's what West Virginia does. Return of the dunk tracker. Yes. Excited. Um, There's a video on his Twitter page and it has 20 dunks. He had 66 baskets last year. He had 20 dunks. Do you think West Virginia had 20 dunks as a team? No. Yeah, probably not. And I look, that's he's going to catch stuff around the rim. He's going to get rebounds and go back up with it. Um, but what's also interesting to me is ball screen, screen and roll, pick and roll. Uh, he's not going to shoot. He, he cuts. And that team was very good about throwing the ball above the rim, throwing the ball down to his hip and letting him catch it and dunk it. And if you watch this video, go to his Twitter page and you can check it out. Press play, watch it. It's a ton of pick and roll with him, you know, ducking and diving and catching a ball and dunking. And, They've talked about doing that for years, roll and replace, things like that. They don't have someone like that who can do that. Osaboyim is, is probably too big to play above the rim and, and maybe isn't skilled offensively to stretch. 
um, Colbert is not going to be able to, to do that. He's, he's, that's not been his thing for a while. Um, this is a guy who adds that element. If you're peppering the perimeter with three perimeter players and he's setting screens for shooters and he's going to catch bounce passes or lobs, that adds an element to the offense. And that's not what you build your offense around, but for the, I don't know, six to eight minutes that he's in that half, I don't know, a game, we'll see. That's a fun little weapon to add, too. It's a, it's a, it's a curveball that you can throw at the defense where, listen, I know he's going to give you good defense, and I know he's going to make things easier on my perimeter defenders because he's going to erase mistakes. They haven't had that. That's why defensive. That's why their defense had so much trouble. Like No one was scared of their perimeter players, never mind the guy at the basket. That's different now with him. Um, but offensively, what do you do with him? You can If they're going to stick with this like four-out, five-out stuff, you can do that with him because he's going to screen, and he's going to make a – line for the basket and catch lobs or catch bounce passes and dunks. Um, again, 20, 20 dunks that we saw in 66 baskets. That's that's pretty good. And, and again, he's going to rebound too. You know, you're talking 6.6 rebounds in 19 minutes a game. I don't think he's going to get 19 minutes a game here, but if he ended up at 6-6 six and six or like 6-4, and four, I think he would take that. If West Virginia had 20 dunks this year, 18 of them transferred out a couple weeks ago. And Emmett Matthews, because <laughs> like, right. yeah. I mean, like he's really was the only player that kind of played above the rim. So, um, yeah, that that would be nice. And and it's funny when you, we before we got on here, we were talking about uh, those crazy numbers for Kerrigan from back at Bunker Hill uh, Community College, and it's like, oh man, look at these points, look at these rebounds, look at these blocks. This is the season that he averaged seven blocks a game, but also some of these games he had six assists, nine assists. Like I wish there was some film of that season to see. What those what those assists entailed? Is he is he hanging around the top, you know, the top of the key and doing handoffs with a, a a good point guard that's curling around for a shot or drive? Is he dishing it out of the post? I don't know. I I, I need to find that film to see where these assists are coming from because you know, when we were discussing this a couple of weeks ago about what they need, I said the, the biggest need for West Virginia is a big man that can help distribute. And can also block a ton of shots. And I was like, and unfortunately, that is not a combination that you find uh, uh, for for many players. And I, I'm not saying they found it, but I would like to see where he he was getting these assists when he was in um, in in junior college, because I don't think he that was part of his game at FIU. But maybe he's a good enough passer that he can be that fifth guy and not really disrupt. You know, it won't be playing four on five on offense. So West Virginia, final 19 games, prolific perimeter three-point shooting team, right? Yes. Nobody made more threes in the Nobody took more threes in the game. Only four teams made more threes in the game than FIU last year. So, so he's ready for it. If you're talking about Culver, for example, and can this like four out, five out, you know, freewheeling perimeter shooting team can they function with Culver yes no how we'll see this guy doesn't have to do it like he's he's accustomed to it he knows what he has to do he grabs rebounds he runs toward the rim and catches lobs like it's it'll work too um that team was terrible this year but that's a good program the past couple of years their coach uh Jeremy Ballard I want to say I think he won 20 games his first two seasons but they had a miserable time because of COVID this past year um and and he didn't Kerrigan didn't play a lot, but was effective his first year. He played more and did not get in love with offense. He just kept rebounding at a higher rate and blocking shots at a higher rate. Um, blocked 60 shots in 24 games. West Virginia blocked 82 shots in 29 games. So 
if you're looking for for need, that was a pretty convenient need for them to have. And they knew him Virginia College too. Uh, Jermaine Haley played at Odessa the year before. Um, I think it's Larry Harrison, but certainly Huggins knows the head coach at Odessa, and I'm sure they did their homework on this guy and figured out, okay, this guy can play. He can help us. He's exactly what we want right now. Um, and I'm pretty sure Odessa kind of plays an up to up. Up yep. tempo. I don't know how often they shoot a bunch of threes, but certainly an up tempo type of offense too. So again, like you said, this this guy is accustomed to what West Virginia is trying to do. So for those people who are asking, was this a one off thing? And then you know, going to go back to the two or three bigs and slow it all down and do all this stuff. Maybe this is kind of your answer. Um, maybe, maybe. Um, Mike, I got a quick one for you. Okay. This is from Carp seventy seven. I'm going to paraphrase, but I'm going to tell, I'm going to say four names, and I want you out of one. This person's gone. One hundred definitely coming back. I just want you to say a number, and then I'll tell you if you're right or wrong. Okay. Okay. Deuce McBride. One hundred back. Oh, okay. I don't think you're wrong, but okay. Uh, Sean McNeil. Same. Taz Sherman. One. Gone. Really? Oh, okay. We're going to have to come back to that one in a second. Derek Culver. One hundred back. Okay. So you went one hundred. Wait, you... You know you're allowed to pick like, you know, 80, 90, oh, 70, I thought, 60. I thought I was like 1 to 100. No, 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 no. Yeah, 1 to 100. Oh. Um, I was like, holy cow, you are confident. That's okay, get... well, give me, okay. give me McBride at 51. Give me McNeil at 95. Give me Sherman at 40. And give me Culver at... Oh, I don't know. What was his free throw shooting percentage this year? Um, Culver's a tough one for me because it, it's strange to me anything. But, yeah, I'll just go with his career free throw shooting percentage. So let's make that a solid 57.6. All right. So let's see. You went for – so Deuce, 51, 95 for McNeil. And was he, say, 40 for Sh- Sherman? Mm-hmm. And then 57 for Culver. Okay. I'm with you on McNeil, so we don't need to discuss that one. Uh, I'm with you. Actually, I'm with you on Culver. I think 57 is a great number for that. Uh, leaning towards yes, but surprisingly close to maybe no, uh, to probably to some people. Um, Deuce, I'm le- I would put it at like 70 or 80. Like I just, it is hard for me to imagine him leaving for a second round NBA draft pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Sherman one, let's talk. Let's ch- let's chat. 40 percent, huh? Yeah, I just his his language during the season at the end of the season was was left the door open for me. Um, I, I just I would be. I don't know, just you're at the end of your career and, and you have a chance to make money and you're, you, you've thought about that for a long time and to talk yourself into doing it again. It, it's tough. Now, I could see him coming back. It wouldn't surprise me if he came back, but I think that's a guy that can make some money somewhere right now and do it. Um, does he have an NBA game? Does he have an NBA future? Is he that guy who could really improve his stock by being a fifth-year college basketball player? Like, I don't 
I don't know what he is a year from now that he isn't now, which is probably a mean thing to say. What do I know about him? And I, I would, you know, personally, I would hope he would prove me wrong. I've always enjoyed talking to him. He's always been good to us, stuff like that. So it's not like a mean thing, but I just think like you're looking at a guy who really improved this past year. We have more playing time and that's the goal, like to do that in your second junior college, second season out of junior college. He did. Um, the other thing is too, is that what's, which makes me waver a little bit. He did not have to go to junior college out of high school. He's an automatic qualifier. He did not have to spend two years in junior college out of high school. He wanted to get to a power five major college basketball level. He did. And then he excelled in his second season. He's committed to the process. So if he is a guy that wants to make NBA money, he would come back. Just the question is, is he being told that the NBA money is not there and won't be there later? I don't know that yet. That's my suspicion for him. Okay. I don't think, by the way, uh, I was making it sound like that was a crazy answer. It's not that crazy. I would say you said 40%. I might go 60-40 instead Mm -hmm. of 40-60 because – Two things stick with me on this one. Um, One, you just mentioned. Is he going to go from European player to NBA player with one extra year? I'm not sure of the answer to that. I, I, I think the answer is no. So, you know, if the answer is no, would you say, all right, well, if I'm not going to the NBA, then why would I not go ahead and go make my money now, start my career? start my life, you know, go make six figures in Europe. And the answer, there, there shouldn't be anybody that really doesn't have an answer for you, especially since he's going to be graduating or has already graduated. So he's got his degree, go off, get started. And the other part of that is also, I believe somebody messaged me the other day that I, I think he turns 23 this summer. Like he's older, like or at least 22. Um, his birthday is in July and he turns 22 or 23 this summer. So he's not, you know, it's not like some of these guys that are, that are 19 and having to make these decisions or even 20 making these decisions. You're already, you know, a, a couple years into guys aren't getting drafted at 23 uh, is what I'm trying to say here. There's not many of them. I think even with Mitchell over at Baylor, I think is about like the only one that's, uh, above 21 or 22 that's really being considered, um, towards the top of the draft. And I just think if you're sitting there turning 23 this summer, you're not going to be NBA level next year, no matter pretty much no matter what happens, go make 150 grand playing in, in Spain, Uh, you know, go enjoy life, you know, living in on the Mediterranean and and making a hundred and 110,000 playing for four months and then travel down to South America and make another hundred thousand playing in Brazil. You know, that that's what a lot of these guys do. And, and it's, it's a lot of travel. Uh, there's certainly some bad parts, but there's certainly some perks and, and you can't blame somebody for wanting to go ahead and, and move forward with that. Is Taz Sherman six, four. I'm pretty sure he has a seven foot wingspan. That's all I know. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I don't. I, sorry, does. that was a, a a preseason joke of somebody was asking on the message board saying that uh, it was going around on another podcast. I can't remember where that Tash Sherman had a seven foot wingspan, and I said, "Oh, okay, it's a lot bigger than I thought." <laughs> I had listed at six four one ninety on the roster, and I'm not. I mean, those are genuinely or generally genuine measurements there, but I never thought he was a six four two guard. I always thought he was kind of like closer to. 
six two or something like that. So what's the difference? Well, which is you're one of only a handful of uh, media people that have got to see him in person this year. So you'll have to pull out your recruiting eye, mm-hmm. From your far recruiting away, card though. eye, and 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 scout it out for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a tough one there. I mean, that's, he's an interesting one, and it'd be great to have him back. But they're in a situation where they being built around the perimeter, they have some options there too. Yep. All right. Uh, speaking of personnel, I'm gonna I'm gonna flip it to football. But had an interesting personnel question here because I agree with S. Curry WVU here, who's asking this question that that staff has been talking a lot about twelve personnel, um, and you can clarify if that. If they're talking about it or they're being asked about it a lot, uh, but realistically, how close is WVU to being able to use a twelve personnel effectively outside of a goal line situation? I thought they would try to do it last year and hardly ever did. They were asked about it the other day. I noticed, um, and I'm not sure they're much closer because they had two tight ends that they liked last year. In a Lachlan and Banks. I think Banks was maybe not 100% for much of the year, but you got to have three if you're going to have, if you're going to play two. And they didn't have three. Uh, Finley was a true freshman, had a hard time. Um, I, it's, it's hard at that position to get on the field as a true freshman. It's, it's imagine run, imagine having all the fundamental stuff of a tight, of a receiver and maybe some of the physical responsibilities of a tackle. That's kind of like what tight end does. And you can make it very simple for him to get him on the field, but, he, he's not some freak athlete. He's not Kyle Pitts where you have to have him on the field. So they didn't have a third tight end last year. Finley's not practicing right now. He's got a bad back. So they don't have a third tight end yet. Now they seem like they like banks a lot more based on what they've said about him. Um, they're kind of in, it almost sounded, tell me if you agree here, almost like now or never mode of the Lachlan. Like he's got to do it this year. This is his third year on the program um, on the field. So perhaps, those two are in position, but again, if if you build it into your game plan and you practice for days or even weeks and you don't have a third one and one of your two gets hurt, that's trouble. And that, I mean, you just can't count on Wickstrom or Traylon Davis yet. Maybe Davis because he's a physical guy who can handle some of that, like I said, some hybrid receiver tackle stuff. It's, it's much more complex. That's not accurate, but the physical stuff he could probably handle because it sounds like he's a bear up front and in, in the backfield and blocking, and they like that about him. And I believe that was one of the players I was excited to see talk about and, and watch in the spring because I thought he had potential physically. And then Wickstrom, don't know. We'll see. It's probably ahead of schedule for him. I don't think anybody is planning on much for him. It's a good idea if they have a third one. I don't know if Finley's out for the year, but like they're not working on that with him right now. So how much two tight end stuff are they doing if they really can only devote legitimately two tight ends to that work? I would say they're probably not a whole lot closer than they were. Agreed. Uh, in part for what you just said, you have to have three to have to play two. I like that. I like that motto. Um, cause yeah, you can't be running two out there at all times and not have a, another option there. And the second part is the key to that kind of 12 personnel and why like Iowa state, God, what do they call You want to call it like a 13 personnel sometimes, whatever the heck they're running over there in Ames. Um, but especially at least two tight ends out there. The reason it's so successful is because all of the tight ends that they put out there are versatile enough to do everything that they can catch passes. They can run block. They can do deep routes. They can do seam routes. They can do crossing routes. I'm not sure West Virginia has that. When you look at O'Loughlin and you look at banks again, they really need to have three before you can do two, like you said, but even if you tried to force it with these two is 
Banks ready to be running seam routes? Is he going to be running, you know, post routes and, and, and juking a linebacker to get open? I don't think he is. And if you only have one, and that's not to say Offlin's ready to go out there and be Kyle Pitts, to use your example, either. But he's at least more of a receiver than Banks is. And if you only have one that's a pretty good receiver and one that's a, hey, he'll catch passes on in goal line situations, and that's about it, then the defense can scheme against that. And that kind of ruins the whole point of, you know, of having this 12 personnel and using it for mismatches. So I'm with you. I don't think they're any closer this year than they were last year. Finley's hurt. Uh, Traylon Davis, again, more of a blocking back that that needs to bulk up. He's, he is a freshman. You, you can't expect for a true freshman to get right in the mix. Wickstrom, we we loved his versatility, his athleticism, his size when we saw him from come over from Europe. But he's coming over from Europe, and he was like 17 years old. Like he's not ready yet. And and Neil Brown has been very upfront about how Davis and Wickstrom look good, and they they're doing some good things, but they're not close to to being contributors yet. So. Agreed. I, I don't think they're ready for the, the 12 personnel yet. It's about practice as much as anything right now. I mean, you say you have to have three to two, but it's it's if you have to have three if you're going to play two, but you have to have three, four if you're going to practice two. You get reps. Well, guys in and out. Like, I'm just not sure they have that where it'd be productive right now. Like, are they running? You're right. Are they running seams and posts with Davis and Wickstrom? Probably not. And if you're not, if you're just running like bootlegs or stuff in the flat, you're not going to do that in the game. And I just wonder how much practice time you're spending on that. Um. Hmm. Thoughts on this is from Summit WVU. Thoughts on split duty between Garrett Green and Jared Dagey? I'd be shocked. That just opens up the can of worms. Yeah. Especially early in the season. Like if if because if, if Dagey's having a bad game against Virginia Tech, now they open against Maryland, right? Mm-hmm. Um and all of a sudden Green comes in and, and fools golds it a little bit because the other team isn't ready. Do you you kind of disingenuously create a quarterback controversy, I'd be surprised. Now, in the past, they did this at Troy. They had a way to get their second quarterback in just to get him into stuff and have him do things. They haven't done that here yet, but I don't think they've had a second quarterback ready to go. Um, Allison wasn't Allison wasn't worth the investment. What I mean by that is like it just wasn't that much different than what Kendall was doing because it wasn't advanced. And last year, they really didn't have a backup quarterback they felt comfortable with. Um, Kendall could have done stuff, but... Again, is it that much different from Daigie? No, Green wasn't ready. So we haven't seen that yet. Perhaps they're at the point they can. We talked about the ideas they had for Green for weeks last year. It, more and more, it sounds like they just weren't comfortable putting it into the game. And it sounds like that they're kind of they're kind of spinning their hands in the watch here saying, hey, hurry up, let's get going. We Maybe we can do something here. But I, I'd be very surprised they ended up doing something like that as a staple of their offense. Could they throw a wrinkle in the goal line or on a third and one? Sure, but any type of a timeshare, I doubt that. Yeah, we did. We were hearing that they had some packages for Green, and you can kind of hear the excitement in Neil Brown's voice when he talks about Green and some of the things he he is capable of doing and how he moves the pocket and does all this stuff. And but then you also hear him follow it immediately up with, and then screws up big time. And and that's just not something it seems like he's willing to put out there. Like it's it's. Yeah, I can make a big play, but the, the negatives are so negative. He specifically brought up a situation in practice the other day of, uh, I can't remember what he called it, but it was like, I can't remember the term he used, but it's essentially with your back against the goal line, trying to get out of, you know, your inside your own five or 10 or whatever it is. And the one thing you can't do in that situation is take a sack, and he took a safety. Garrett Green did uh, mm-hmm. in the end zone. You can't, you can't do that. And so 
that kind of hammer point to home of, man, is it that risk reward? Are you willing to, yeah, he does some good things, but are you willing to risk it for the mistakes that he was making? And it sounds like maybe not right now, but what I find most interesting about this, this spring, and I wish we had more opportunity to see some of what's going on and to see how much is changing. It sounds like instead of trying, I mean, not they're trying to build Garrett Green up, but they're also trying to convert Daggy into more of Green. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like specifically making the offense kind of, or, or making Daggy run the offense as if he were Green, make him roll out, make him move the pocket, make him be more mobile, even if he's, that's not his forte is trying to make it happen and see if he's capable of doing it. Um, I find that interesting. I think, you know, if it works great, I don't know if it's going to work. Hopefully he has the, the skill set to be able to do that. Cause it's obvious. Um, and again, we've talked about this before to look at everybody they're recruiting dual threat, dual threat, dual threat, dual threat, dual threat. Um, that is what Neil Brown wants is a dual threat. And he did not have that on the roster. And it, it's like, they're trying to make Daggy one, not against his will, but they're they're gonna he's gonna make it or break it into that 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 dual threat role this year. I think. Agreed. They um they keep busy during practice. You can watch. I mean, they they do a lot of stuff fast where you hustle from one drill to the other. And again, that's good if you have your quarterback leading traffic and you have your whole team in a hurry to get to the next thing. That's good. But so you get a lot of stuff in. But also the stuff they do with the quarterbacks, like they're involved in everything. Well, they're they're on their own. They're doing different stuff. They're in teams or seven on sevens or shells. Uh, doing stuff like the quarterbacks do a ton and the stuff that Brown let us see they're they're working on different spots from inside the 10 or five, you know, throwing quick, shallow crosses, throwing into the flat, different things with your footwork, you know, rolling out three steps, five steps, you know, catch and bang, stuff like that. And a lot of that is designed to, I think, give Daigie some of the footwork that maybe green is good at, but also give green some of the experience he needs at the stuff that Daigie is good at. And then what we didn't see that Brown was talking about was, you know, moving the pocket, um, making the work on scramble drills, working on the release points that, you know, it's you're going to throw from a different arm angle when you're on the move. And Green may be good at that because he's more comfortable at it. So you get to see what he's good at. Daigie may not be there yet, but you also get to see where he's good and not so good, but he gets more accustomed to it, more comfortable because that guy didn't want to and wasn't made to leave the pocket a lot last year. Yeah, well, that's what the spring's for. Like uh, Brown has said a couple of times already that, that this isn't a, a, this is the spring is when you take those risks and you make those mistakes in, instead of making them in the fall. Uh, you know, he was talking about other positions. I believe in that situation, he was talking about Nick Troy fortune being more aggressive at cornerback. But I think that's a good philosophy to have overall in the spring is to try new things and, and make it, make it happen. See if it'll work. And if it doesn't, it's just spring football. Um, I want to I want to see the Snyder cut of Neil Brown just extinguishing spring football all spring <laughs> as their as their hype video for the spring game. This doesn't I, uh, matter. It's educational. We're just worried about one play at a time, one day at a time. Come out to the stadium on April twenty fourth and watch watch nothing happen, please, because he's been extremely low key this spring about how process, process, process. We're working on big picture stuff and small details. We're not trying to win the Big Twelve right now. And which is a hundred percent true. It's the right tact, I'm sure. But like, you're gonna have to somehow draw people out of the woodwork into the stadium on April 24th. I don't know how they're gonna do that. My 
my my favorite thing right now is the I think he kicked off spring. I think it was the very first interview uh, or session he did with the media, and somebody asked him about a depth chart, and he he scoffed at it. Said there's no depth chart. There's no ones and twos. None of that all spring long. They won't even put one out. Yeah. <laughs> and then fast forward like a week later, and somebody asks about uh, full pads and tackling. Says, oh yeah, well the starters and the ones. No, they didn't tackle at all. But we had the twos and threes tackling all day long. So wait, <laughs> who are the twos and threes if we don't have ones and twos and threes? Uh, I mean, obviously we know it's coach speak. We know that's what he's got to say, and he's he's trying to teach these guys and and get it going. But um, gotta have fun with it sometimes. And hey, man, if they, if they don't put out a depth chart, that gives me free reign to just make up depth charts all day long and put them out. It's my favorite oh, thing to do. Yeah. I know that's your favorite thing to do. That's all we like is depth charts at our site. <laughs> should, should we wrap it up now before we get in trouble again? It's over an hour. Let's do it. <laughs> um, I'll, again, we, we got a bunch more questions. We'll have it all in written form up on the site later this afternoon. Um, got a couple of recruiting stories up, updates on the target board. Man, a couple of those things were a mess. That is the problem when everybody on the entire network has access to the target board um, and can adjust that. Uh, I have cleaned that up a good bit lately. Most of the offense will be going through position by position each day and updating those and, and fixing the target list. So be sure to check those out and be sure to uh, look for the written mailbag later. Mike. I'm uh, I'm looking at one more question. Are you? No, go uh, go for it. All right. Um, where did the break go? I was trying to get it so I could phrase it and actually get the credit to um, And then I'll get to what I have coming up here, but uh Where'd it go? This is good audio here. I know it's right around here somewhere. Um, Which one is it? What's it on? Give me a topic. Shoot, we may just cut this. I, I'm drawing a blank, but I know I had it in my head here really fast. Um, oh, yeah. The, the, um, the implications of the NIL stuff and Sean Austin. That's just ah. kind of a, that's just kind of a, um, I don't know. It's a fun thing. It's a weird thing right now too, but like they don't have any of the NIL stuff, the, any of the forward legislation in West Virginia. Um, I don't know at what point, cause you get this more than I would. Are people talking about that yet? Are high school coaches are, are recruits curious about that yet? It, it feels like it's so far a waste though, but heck it's in the Supreme court right now. Um, and, and like, these are all intertwined with West Virginia a little bit because of Sean Austin, but I guess, what what do we think about this and what type of impact might it have off the field before it ever happens on the field? Is this is this something that people could swing to get a kid in their favor? Could they leverage it against a school or a, or a state like West Virginia? How does this factor right now? Too soon? So, so I have yet to have a single recruit. I mean, I talked to hundreds, thousands of recruits in a year. Yet to have a single one bring this up. Not one. Never. Um, I asked a coach about this. Not from around here, from another state that I'm not even sure is even having, has legislation yet either. I, I don't know. Um, the Carolinas, I don't know if they have, does South Carolina have it in there? I believe, I, I believe it's in the works. Okay. Um, I asked about that and not at South Carolina University, but Carolina College. And mm-hmm. asked about this, said, you know, do you guys discuss this with recruits? Why does this ever come up? And he told me that, no, they don't, because I think there's this under, he, he, there's this understanding that 
it's not going to be end up being state by state that it's going to end up eventually being a whole thing. And if you start making promises to kids of what you're going to do and this state won't and that school won't and you will and you'll offer this, it's a messy situation because the NCAA has rules in place, but then there's going to be state laws that are going to be different. So eventually it's going to, it's like a game of chicken at some point. It's either the NCAA is going to have to change the rules and or it's going to have to become a national thing, a national law, whatever. It's going to have to be for everybody. It's not going to be able to do state by state. And it seems like coaches realize that. And and it's if you start just. I don't know. He this coach didn't tell me this part, but I feel like if you just start focusing on the, hey, we can make you some money thing, that's going to turn a lot of kids off. Kids, you know, so many of these kids, you hear them talk and and maybe some of it's a little disingenuous, but for the most part, most of these kids actually want a family friendly, you know, relationship with coaching staffs and with a school. You know, some of them, some of them, it's a business decision, as we've as we've seen time and again, but a lot of them want relationships. So if you come in being like, hey, I'll make you a quick buck with the, you know, name, image, likeness. What do you think? Like. No, I don't care about that. Like, that's not something they're going to, you start coming in like that. You just sound like a con man. It'll be interesting in the state. Here we go. Our political podcast. Now they have some very strange legislation here that could make the income tax, the state income tax, um, almost vanish, um, but certainly go away, but the highest sales tax in the country. And I would think that'd be interesting too, because Hey, NIL, whatever, but like your income is free. In the state, it can't be taxed. That's interesting. Yeah. However, however, when you go and buy dinner at Texas Roadhouse or you go and buy some clothes at Gabe's, I hope they don't shop at Gabe's. But anyways, the sales tax is going to be really high. I think, I think I saw a projection where it could be higher than anywhere in the country. Like, my, my point is there's so much stuff that coaches have to deal with <laughs> when it comes to these things. Like, you, could, you can get dirty and you can throw mud with your left hand, with your right hand, underhand, behind your back. Like, there's a lot of ways to do it right now. And I think the sooner you have a plan to get on – at least on track, never mind like what the actual plan is. Like, hey, we're thinking about this and this because those conversations are going to start soon. Like, it'll, it'll happen before long, especially the Supreme Court does rule sometime soon here. And I I would think that West Virginia, with the the case face in this and the case of Sean Austin, would be smart to have some sort of a forward facing response to whatever happens because they're going to be attached to this. It's not their fault, but it also could be a good thing. And if they have a way to spin this and to make this more accommodating, open-armed, embracing, welcoming to student-athletes, and, hey, this is the home of NIL, like Sean Austin's our guy, I think there's a way you can spin that. And I'd be very curious and probably surprised if, if West Virginia, what we know about them and their detail and their recruiting, recruiting, recruiting in football, if they don't have some sort of plan for that. Well, you're and, not wrong. And that's our politics podcast. Thank <laughs> yeah. you for listening to Pod Save Sports. Yeah. Uh, I'll do better next time, Chris. I just had to get my feet back in the sand here, and I'll be fine again. That's okay. That's okay. We'll let it slide just this once. Next next time you start talking about doing podcasts with other people, we'll keep this in mind, okay? <laughs> Speaking of throwing dirt with different hands, right? This is all <laughs> on tape right now, too. Uh, I have stuff on quarterbacks. Uh, believe it or not, 12 personnel. We have good videos from players talking about you know how their defense could be as good, better. We'll see. We have... Neil Brown talking, and then they're back on the field uh, tomorrow. So, 
spring football continues and then really no more than a one-day break in between practices, but only, I think, two back-to-back days of practice. So before you know it, spring game will be here um, and plenty happening in football, basketball in between. Also, baseball, women's soccer, men's soccer, a lot happening right now that you don't ordinarily get during the spring. Uh, I don't know, perhaps we should turn our gaze toward that. Good thing we have a part-timer, right? That's uh, true. Will's going to be out there covering uh, baseball this afternoon. Uh, but West Virginia Pitt, backyard brawl um, this afternoon and then another series in the weekend. So, yeah, we got uh, West Virginia Athletics is having a pretty darn good spring, Mike. Kicking Nicky's 10-2. and two. Dude, yeah. back to back. They're always going to be there in the end. So uh, we'll have to step, check in on them sometime soon. But that'll wait until some other time. Until next time, I am Mike Kazaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.